Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Bob Wiesner, managing partner at the Artemis Partnership and author of Winning is Better, The Journey to New Business Success, encourages teams to work smarter, not harder, by reducing pitching frequency and failure of focusing on quality. Wiesner posits that pitching too much creates conditions that play right into the great resignation mindset by minimizing creativity, stifling individual contributions and collaboration, and isolating workers from the bigger purpose of the organization. Bob, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Denise. It's a pleasure. So um, you've got some hot topics here, you know, quality over quantity, the great resignation, some of those things about you know, stifling contributions, collaboration. I could go in a lot of different directions right now, but maybe if you could start with, um, I think from business owner's perspective, we know and understand the great resignation is as hard as heck to hire right now. But talk about it from the employee perspective. What is, you've got some driving factors here, but can you, you know, kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, The great resignation has a lot of different components to it, but certainly people are questioning their current positions and choosing to change their current positions because they don't feel like it's meeting their criteria. And those criteria may have shifted since the pandemic started, or at least may have become more uh, intensified. But people want a sense of purpose. They want work-life balance. They want a chance to grow. They want a chance to contribute. Uh, They want to feel valued within their firms. All of these things may have existed to some degree, but they've been just amplified in the last couple of years. And the groups that appear to be most likely to resign um, are not the, the, the millennials and Gen Zs that we all sometimes stereotype as being, oh, you know, lazy or feeling entitled. Uh, Certainly there's uh, some departures there as according to the stats, but the highest percentage of resignations are occurring according to the Harvard Business Review among workers 35 to 44. That's right in the prime of their career. And that's a real hurt for any size business. We think that efforts relating to business development, and which is our reason for being, may be contributing a bit to the urge to, to leave. Uh, too many firms have always had the strategy, and I use that in air quotes, to pursue everything they possibly could. Our mission from a business development standpoint is to have the fattest possible pipeline. And there's nothing we're not capable of doing if it's the client that we want to work for or if it's revenue that's available. Maybe that worked until before March 2020. We would argue it probably didn't work as well as people thought. But since the pandemic, and now with this desire with with fewer people around, or at least people wanting to question their reason for working, when you start chasing everything, you start putting a lot of burden on people to do a lot of work that's not going to be effective. It's going to be a waste. Because you pursue too many opportunities, you're not going to win enough of them, and you're going to frustrate people, you're going to overwork them, you're going to burn them out, and you're not going to do any good for your firm, not just because you have fewer people available, but because you're just not winning enough. 
So we see these connections between the great resignation and how people go about pursuing new business. And we think there's something there that business owners ought to be considering. So the great resignation, in your opinion, is tied to business development. It's tied to. It's not the reason for the great of resignation, course. of course, <laughs> but there, there's got to be some association between how people are being used in business development and their desire to question whether they want to keep working for your company. So when you talk about being used in business development, my, the question that comes to mind, are we talking about salespeople? Are we pe- talking about the people who perform the work after the sales sale has created? Well, we're probably talking about both. And okay. salespeople, let's start with salespeople. So they come in different shapes and sizes. If you're a professional services firm, if you're an accountant or a lawyer or a management consultant or a virtual assistant, you are probably the salesperson. Um, you have to acquire the new business in order to perform your craft. If you are fortunate enough to have professional salespeople, same thing. They have to do their they have to do their thing. Now, whether you're a professional doing your craft or a, or a salesperson. You don't want to waste your time pursuing things that have a very low probability of winning. You don't want to feel like you're required, mandated to pump out another proposal or chase down another lead just because you have to fill your pipeline. You want it to be successful. You want to develop a relationship and get to know somebody and and be able to close a sale. When you're feeling like I'm, I'm doing too much ineffective work and inefficient work, then I'm no longer as motivated. I'm more frustrated. And because all of my friends seem to be leaving their company, I start to question whether this is a good place for me. After the sale, of course, you have this other problem of now that I have the work, is it really work that I want to do? Is it really valuable to me both to fulfill my purpose? Is it valuable in terms of developing a client that I can grow or at least sustain for a long period of time? Is it in my sweet spot? Or is it low-hanging fruit that we grabbed because it was out there and we knew somebody and we, we could get it and it, there's a few bucks there and it'll keep the lights on? So the after the sale kind of thinking is, is influencing, I think, people questioning whether they're working on the right projects, whether they're working for the right company. And that too, I think, can cause people to think nowadays, is this the place I should be working? That makes sense. And, you know, from a business owner perspective, it takes a lot of self awareness to say no to business. You know, if you have something that drops in your lap and you know you can close it, if it's not ideal for you, your company, your your employees, being able to say no is an art and it's almost an act of courage in my my opinion because we are so you know number focused on forecasts and that that sort of thing. So how do you work around that? Oh boy, first of all, um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It, I don't know if it's an art, but it definitely is an act of courage. I can tell you from my own experience, and I've been in a small business since 2005, that I have failed to say no too many times. And each time I have uh, and this is for, for business that I eventually won, not just saying no to business to pursue, but every time I've chosen to take on a project that I knew deep down inside was not representing the best of me, it never turned into what I hoped it would be. Now, I did a good enough job. I'll give you an example of this. So a few years ago, I was asked by a really, really good friend of mine uh, who I'd known for 20 years to propose on uh, focus groups for a major corporation. 
know, I, you know, he, he knows me really well and admires me and wanted me to penetrate this company. It would be my first project for them. Uh, and I've done f- a few focus groups. I've been in a few focus groups. I've certainly never positioned myself as a focus group moderator. And there are wonderful professional focus group moderators out there. But I said, because I wanted the exposure, I wanted the opportunity. I didn't want to, didn't want to disappoint him. And maybe I didn't have the guts. So I said, sure, I'll propose on it. And I got the job. Uh, and I did the focus groups. And they were okay. They weren't outstanding, but they were okay. We got some ideas. There was some productivity afterwards. I think the client felt that they were okay too, but not outstanding. And I never got more work from them. That was as far as I ever got. Now, there were may have been a few different reasons, but none the least of which, and let's take the best possible outcome, is that they saw me as the focus group guy. And I'm really a business development guy, not a focus group guy. They didn't believe I could do business development because they just saw me doing focus groups. So because I was now pegged into this particular niche of focus groups, there was no reason for them to talk to me about anything else. It also could have been that the groups weren't all that outstanding, but you got to take work and and pitch for work that represents opportunities that you really, 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 really want, that are the best of what you do, that will show your brilliance um, and your effectiveness And that's the work that is worth the time and effort, because if you win that work, that will then turn into more work, sustainable work, more fun, more money. No, I agree wholeheartedly. It's been a big learning lesson for me and my company uh, and my leadership team to, you know, when we evaluate potential incoming clients to say, no, that doesn't fit what we're doing. We had a great client that a prospective client that wanted something specific. She wanted essentially a button a seat from X hour to X hour. Well, all of our team we're hiring is a freedom culture with a flexible schedule. How would we realistically do that to hire somebody new? And then we'd have to create a whole new handbook book because the expectations would be different for that individual. We turned that client down because it didn't fit how we've been cultivating our team. And I think those things, when the business owners make those wrong decisions, that impacts how people feel about their job and lends to the, all the turnover challenges that we as business owners are seeing right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I could even take that a step further. That This is Please. mentioned in, in, um, in the book that you kindly uh, talked about at the beginning, Denise. There's an architectural firm that we've worked with uh, extensively in, in business development. And they told us prior that prior to us working with them, there was a large client that they really wanted to have. Now, architecture you know, can be six-figure deals up to nine-figure deals. They can be extremely uh, important. But architects like advertising people and designers, uh, web designers, they all want showcase projects. They want portfolio-filling projects that they can put on their website. That's what they were pursuing with this particular organization. That project didn't come up, but that company decided that they needed renovation of bathrooms in their facility. And they came to this architectural firm and said, we don't have the big one yet, but would you want to renovate the bathrooms? Well, they said, yes, sure, we can renovate bathrooms. And they thought it was a foot in the door. And this, by the way, is is a very flawed strategy. Let me rephrase that. It's not a flawed strategy, but it's flawed in how companies execute it the foot in the door strategy. Um, They got their foot in the door uh, by redesigning bathrooms and they became known as the bathroom redesigners. 
And even though they did a great job, now unlike my focus groups where I probably did a mediocre job, they did a great job redesigning the bathrooms, but they didn't enhance their reputation. It didn't introduce them to the right people at the right levels in the companies. Later on, when they actually had a, a chance to bid on the big project, the reputation building, portfolio building project, they weren't a favorite. They were just one of 20 firms that had a little bit of experience with them, including some competitors that had a lot of experience with them and they didn't win. So their reason for going forward and doing the bathroom renovation just didn't really serve them the way they wanted to. So we have to be really particular about understanding what we do exceptionally well, what gives us joy to do, um, what our people will love to do, and focus our business development time and efforts in that space alone. That is incredible advice. And you know, I, I realize how important it is for us as leaders and business owners to to take this to heart because it truly impacts your team. And with that, it impacts the bottom line as well. So how do you coach leaders and, and people around, you know, how do the foot in the door is to get money? I get it. We still have metrics we need to meet with forecasts. So how do you coach people to find that joy, that space that really brings value and then also to meet our numbers? Uh, it, it starts with having a really strong strategic plan. So you have to articulate on paper and get the agreement of the people in your firm who count that uh, we, we see it as sort of having three components to it, this, this strategic plan and, and the agreements that go into it. Component one is what is the work that we really want to do? Okay. Not the work that we're capable of doing, but the work that we want to do, the work that will energize us that we'll love to come to work to do every day, the work that will enhance our reputation, that will help us recruit and retain people. So that's the first component is what's the work you want to do. Second component is who are the clients you want to work with? You can define those clients by size, by industry or vertical, by geography, or define them. I don't think it's an or, I think it's an and. And define them by culture, by chemistry, by likability, by ease of working with. Mm -hmm. So not just a great logo to put on your website, but also good people that will, will give you pleasure working with. So that's your second component is the client. The third component, which I think of almost every small business owner overlooks is what is the profit that I wanna make? Not the revenue, not the revenue. I can chase revenue all over the place. There's a lot of opportunities to get revenue. But if I have a sense of my costs, how much profit can I make in, in the work that I want to be doing? Because if I don't make enough profit, then I don't have enough to reinvest in the business, to grow the business. I can get revenue and I can get revenue that will pay salaries or contractor fees, um, pay my, for my website, pay my marketing fees and so on. It's perfectly fine. But all that's doing is that sustaining your business. What I, want, what I should want to do as a small business owner is I should want to grow my business. I can't grow it unless my profit reaches a certain level because then I can reinvest. I can hire more people. I can take my current people, pay them more better, or get better people. I can um, add to my marketing mix. I can upgrade my website. Uh, it's profit that, that powers growth, not revenue. So put those three things together. The work I want to do, the clients I want to work with, and the profit I want to make. When you can agree on those goals, 
then you can put a plan together to go acquire those projects. And now you're on your way. I love that because I don't think profit is a number that naturally comes to people when they do forecasting. I think they look at things like the gross, the, the gross revenue, the cost of goods, the net revenue, and profit is literally after you've paid everything else, including, you know, owners of uh, draws and distributions and all of that stuff. So I don't think that that's the natural number that people think about. I think it takes a while for them to realize where where they need to be looking on the PL for that number. It's it I, I think if I asked them, you know, a hundred small business owners, you know, what is your profit margin target? You know, I'll bet you 50 of the hundred won't won't even know what it is. They may know what it was because they can look at their QuickBooks, but as far as it being a target, it, it may have escaped them. Yet, you know, I tell you a story of an ad agency that went on a real winning streak, just a tear. They, were, they must have won eight or nine new business pitches in a row. And within a year of winning those eight or nine, they were out of business. Oh, wow. And the reason is because, and we, we would like to say they sort of pitched and won themselves into bankruptcy. They were buying these businesses by reducing fees. The revenue targets were being hit, but they didn't realize the investment that they were making in order to service the client. And by reducing their fees, still hitting their overall revenue targets, they wound up without enough profit to sustain the company, no less to power more growth. So that's a worst case scenario. We all know many stories. Some of us on this podcast may have even experienced it where we don't win enough and we, we, we can't sustain our business, but you can also win so much at too little profit that you cannot sustain your business. So that's a blind spot I think a lot of business owners really have to be mindful of. So recently, um, I've been working in a boot camp for hiring and recruitment. And they recently talked about creating a bench in your, your ramp up. And I had never looked at my financials that way. The ramp up was essentially, you know, when you bring an employee on, how long is it before they could do billable work? So the ramp up is the cost to the organization while they're not doing billable work. For me, that was an eye-opener. That was a cost I was missing in my financials. So when you work with people, what are some of the things that people are missing when they do their projections? You know, What are the, some of the things they don't think about? Yeah. Well, from our perspective, again, we're focused on, on growth and on, on business, new business pursuits. And there's a huge blind spot that people have around about their costs relating directly to business development. Um, and we refer to it as the ROI of business development. Let's, let's say you are, are a firm with employees or contractors, and those people are expected, let's, let's talk about employees. And those employees, whether they're sales professionals or whether they're um, your tradespeople like lawyers or accountants, they're expected to participate in business development. If you put them into business development activities, first of all, you need to track how many hours they're actually spending in business development and associate those hours with the salaries, perhaps even the salaries plus benefits that you're paying those people. Uh, and then you can associate that cost with how much new business are they actually bringing in. And you can even drop that, that business that they're bringing in down to the profit level. A lot of firms, when they calculate this, realize that on a total, let's say annual basis, I'm spending you know, $500,000 in salaries and benefits for people who are um, engaged in business development. 
they've won $5 million worth of new revenue. That new revenue has generated profit of 10% net after, after everything, but before taxes. That's, that's a wash. That's a break that's even. even. 500,000 yeah. profit against 500,000 expenses. Is that really what you want? Now, what if I took that $500,000 of, of expense, meaning of, of manpower hours, and I reallocated them in a different way? I had them be more efficient. I had, don't chase so much. I had to be more effective, change your activities in how you pursue new business. Maybe my total costs go down. So instead of spending $500,000, I can reduce that to $400,000. Remember, this is salaries and bonuses. Maybe I can keep it at 500,000, but instead of winning $5 million worth of revenue, I can now win $6 million worth of revenue because I'm more effective in how I allocate those dollars. So now instead of zero ROI, a wash, of profit against expense, now I have a, a plus $100,000 in ROI. So there, there are calculations I can make on how I allocate time and money against business development that will allow me to be more effective if I'm able to calculate those numbers, if I'm willing to calculate those numbers. If you're a small business owner, as I have been in the past, and it's just me, it's the same, essentially the same thing. What is the investment of my time, which is worth something Absolutely. against the number of um, opportunities? And am I getting the right return on the amount of time I'm personally spending on those opportunities? There's other nuances that you can apply. Um, and if you can't even calculate the time value, there's other ways of getting close to an ROI calculation, uh, or at least an efficiency calculation which I'm happy to talk about at some point. But ideally, this is what you want to be doing. You want to understand if the time and money you're investing is actually returning you the profit that you want. And are, is this some of the things that you go into in your book? Yeah, the book will, will, will go into all this in, in detail. And, and this is one of many um, steps or calculations required to have a more effective business development process. And the book will you know kind of goes through the entire journey for it. But you got to do the whole thing. Um, if you really want to upgrade your business development, both the top line number as well as the bottom line number, I'm just determined to change the way people think about business development. I, I really believe, Denise, that if I could change the way every company in a particular vertical changes the way they develop new business and does it better and more efficiently, then we'll, we'll go so far to make so many more people happy. And even think of it from your client standpoint. I'm going to go a little bit different direction here. You know, your your the the prospects who are looking to hire a new provider might talk or expect to talk to ten or twenty different options at the beginning. Well, most of those ten or twenty aren't going to get the business. Only one's going to get it, and many of them they're just doing because they feel like they have to have twenty. Mm -hmm. What if everybody decided, no, I'm only going to pursue things that fit those three criteria I mentioned earlier. It's the right work, the right client, the right profit. Well, now this, this prospect that expected 20 proposals is only going to get 10 proposals. Are they worse off as a result? No. I don't think so. I think, yeah, they're better off, right? Because they waste less of their time. Mm -hmm. They like their job better. Uh, so maybe they don't resign as quickly. Uh, those 10 that decided not to pursue weren't going to win it anyway. So now they're happier that they didn't throw away their effort and their money against something that was 
low probability. I, you know, I, I can go on and on about this, but I just think that we in business have just gone about this all wrong over the years. And it's time for people to, to, to change the way they approach business development. Well, Bob, it has been a great conversation. Before we sign off, though, tell us A, where we can get your book and B, how our listeners can find you after the show. All right. Well, thank you for that, Denise. Uh, the book is called Winning is Better, The Journey to New Business Success. It's available exclusively on Amazon. And if you search my name, Bob Wiesner, it'll show right up. Uh, it's available paperback and Kindle. And you can find me at bob.wiesner. Uh, that's Bob with one O, as we say. And Wiesner is W-I-E-S-N-E-R at artemispartnership.us. Not artemispartnership.com, artemispartnership.us. Perfect. And I'll make sure that information is also in our show notes so our listeners can access it easily. Thank you. I really do appreciate that, Denise. This has been fun. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.